Hi, this is Chris Villarreal. I'm the producer of Precious Snowflakes, the show you're watching. Well, not watching, listening to. <laughs> Tonight's episode is a FaceTime call from New Orleans, where Ben and Well have gone for the 2018 Libertarian National Convention. What's been going on down there, including the fierce battle for chair and vice chair of the party, which should set the stage for how things are run in 2020. So, let's join that call already in progress. I guess we're going to have a post, I don't know, a post-game show. First question, when you were coming to the convention at the beginning, at the end of last week, what was on your minds? How do you think it was going to play out? I just realized something, guys. Yeah? A lot of us don't know who all the players are. Maybe we have to, like, start from a little... Okay, well, the mo the big, the real, the most contentious thing that happened at the, uh, this, at the, at the... 2018 convention of the Libertarian Party was the the race for the national uh, chairman of the party and the vice chair. The current national chairman Nicholas Sarwark uh, was running for re-election. Nicholas Sarwark, comma badass motherfucker. Yes, two-term incumbent running for an unprecedented third term as national chairman. Arvind Vora, the two-term incumbent vice chair, who's a, a radical anarchist and also oh, uh, I didn't know he had two terms under his belt. That was interesting. Also an asshole. Um, <laughs> I was like wondering why, how he got to two terms. Uh, He's kind of right. So he, he was—he was always a radical anarchist, but he wasn't always such a dick about it. Arvin, Arvin actually summed it up himself he accidentally. Uh, he said that you know he's now had four years as vice chair, right? One two-year term, second two-year term. He said that for three years he towed the line. You know, yeah, he's a radical anarchist, but he kept his mouth shut. He towed the line. He pushed the party 100%. He was a team player. And then something happened, and he snapped. And, yeah. and we now actually know what that thing is, because he talked about it on the debate stage, and I was able to put it together exactly who he was talking about. Oh, okay. Uh, well, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Dish. What, 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 what was so here's what happened. So what he said is he, he said that, uh, that a member of the libertarian national committee, the 25 officers, representatives, and alternates, a member of the libertarian national committee had announced that he was joining the military. Okay. And that a bunch of other Libertarian National Committee members were all like, hey, good for you, buddy, serve your country. And that made Arvin flip a shit because Arvin, Arvin Vora fundamentally believes that all military incursions into other countries are wrong. So anyone joining the military while we're engaged in wars, proxy wars, shadow wars, etc., in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Libya, anyone who joins while we're still doing that is signing up to be a killer. And that... That's and I actually, a very point of view right there. He's not wrong. Right. He's, <laughs> he's not wrong. And I mean, yeah, you're going to be asked to do shit that you don't believe in. Mm -hmm. and, and we know who this person was because this guy actually came to 
uh, the state convention in Moses Lake two years ago. Uh, this is a kid named Trent Soames III, who's, uh, who's from somewhere like Pennsylvania or Ohio, I don't remember which. Uh, he's, he's like 18. He founded the Youth Caucus, right? Right, he's like 18, he's the founder of the Libertarian Youth Caucus, and he'd been chosen as his region's alternate to the LNC. And when he came and spoke to us, he talked about anticipating joining the Marines. Mm -hmm. We are members. He was going to go and do his two years in the Marines and then go to college on the GI Bill. So he must have said this to the rest of the Libertarian National Committee the same way he did to us. And Arvin's response, which felt like a total mystery at the time, but now has context, Mm -hmm. to the rest of us, it's like all of a sudden Arvin one day became an asshole. And specifically what he did is he posted... If you tell me that you're joining the military to get it to pay for college, you're admitting that you're willing to kill children for money. That was the breaking point. Arvin posted that. And everyone flipped out. Larry Sharp had a, had a conniption. Yeah, I mean, the, the Libertarian Party has the highest proportion of veterans. Of um of, uh, of any political party, people. What was it? I'm sorry. Say that again. You broke up just for that exact moment. Uh, the Libertarian Party has the largest proportional number of veterans. Most of our major candidates, leaders, activists are veterans. Adam Kokesh, who's already running for president as a radical anarchist, founded Iraq Veterans Against the War. Uh, Larry Sharp is a Marine veteran. Uh, a lot of these guys are, uh, Nathan, Nathan, no, Brendan, Brendan Finney, who's a libertarian state house member in New Hampshire is a veteran. These people jumped down his throat and an argument started about whether or not it's acceptable within the libertarian party to criticize the behavior of those who sign up for the military. And Arvin just refused to back down. Well, like his, you know, I mean, there's nothing, there, there's, there's no law saying that you can't say what you feel about the subject, but um, consequences are always, you're always subject to them. Yep, freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. Right. And and Arvin got it into his head that our that our messaging is basically weak sauce and ineffectual, and that we're getting away from advocating our actual positions and by trying to water them down to make them more palatable to uh, to non libertarians. So uh, yeah, palatable to non libertarians. I don't think Arvin's there yet. <laughs> At the same time that Arvin was having a fit about Trent Soames joining the military. He also got it in his head. The reason Trump won was because Trump is honest and, you know, speaks the truth all the time. And is and he never sugarcoats anything. He just tells it like it is. Um. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, this is in the middle of, you know, I mean, this is right uh, towards the end of the of the of the 2016 campaign. 
it only it, it well it only some people it only looks like Trump is telling the truth because his lie detector is also lying. Yeah, actually, I remember it was in the actually it was in the spring of twenty seven. It was in the spring of twenty seventeen when Arvin Gates. Well, it was Mother's Day. I would I would say that this was at around the end of what I would call the great unpacking, which was everyone was still reeling from the election and trying to like draw lessons from it. Uh, people are trying to figure out like what is this new paradigm that we live in? What's the deal? Why are things the way they are now? And Arvin's lesson was clearly being blunt and obnoxious worked for Trump, so it's going to work for me. And he had this revelation at the same time that Trent Soames announced he was joining the Marines or whatever. And the rest of the LNC was like, hey, good for you, buddy. And Arvin flipped a shit, posted this thing about, you know, if you're joining the military to pay for college, you're admitting that you're willing to kill children for money. And that was just the opening of the floodgates. Because once he'd, once he'd let that one out... He could start letting them out, and the oh, um, yeah. There's a, I'm looking at this Wikipedia article. Article, um, Arvin Vora, and then there's this section called controversies. Yes, <laughs> okay, you're reading it. Yeah. And, he, and you know what? I don't, I don't hate Arvin, and he's not wrong about things. He, he's just he, he turned his messaging into a complete disaster. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it was just like, yeah, it's like, this is pretty outrageous shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the pain killer. Well, and just strident, you know, in his in these sweeping generalizations. Okay, well, look, there's a paragraph in, that starts with the words, in defense of his remarks on sexual relations with minors, and I don't really... <laughs> okay. Oh, that's a whole... That I can explain. So I was, I was about to say, <laughs> the, second, the second hill he chose to die on was this, which can be summed up by his argument, his real, fervently held argument, that he would rather a pregnant 16-year-old be in a, a theoretical pregnant 16-year-old be in a relationship with like a 35-year-old man with a job than with a 16-year-old boy. Because a 35-year-old man with a job is going to be able to, uh, is going to be able to pay for her, take care of the kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not go on welfare, basically. Whereas another 16-year-old being uh, in that relationship guarantees that they're going to become a welfare family. Mm. And that... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That makes... That makes because, because, your... Because sexual manipulation. Not a thing with him. Right. So that makes pure logical sense mm -hmm. if you run on the assumption that the 16-year-old girl has the brain of an adult and has made this choice. Yes. The, he, in attempting to get himself out of the mud and then falling face first back into it, somebody asked him, would you, Arvin Vora, hypothetically have a sexual relationship with a minor if you believed that she could consent? And his response was, probably not. Well, and then it got into a whole thing about, well, what is age of consent? It's arbitrary. Why does it, why is it one day you can consent and then the day after your birthday you can't, you know? And, and that whole, and how about how the whole concept of age of consent is a, 
as a statist idea, you know, just that's arbitrarily just imposed by the government by edict as opposed to any the person's real, you know, right. ability to consent. Right, but he got he for, got asked the key question. This is you. The key question in any of that is And he didn't just say no. Probably not. Brilliant. Oh God. Yeah, that's I'm sorry, this thing goes on for like Couple more paragraphs. Arvin Bora controversies. Yes, this is gone. For no, but I love how it. I love how the section ends. I love it. Yeah. Okay, what does it say? With a cameo from the crying Nazi Christopher Cantwell. He went. He went on his oh, yes. podcast one day. If I had to, oh yeah, here we go. I'll take a racist who opposes government schools over a public school teacher who endorses them any day. If I have to pick between racism and welfareism. I'll pick racism in a second. Yes, and I let him know what I thought about that. And <laughs> I mean, that was like right, that was like a couple of weeks before the convention when he went on Chris Cantwell's uh, program, his his podcast. Uh, for the record, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I just find program is a is a is a euphemism for uh, exterminating well, people. Right. It's I, not a it's not a euphemism for anything. It's not a euphemism. It's, I mean, you might not understand what. It, it basically the pogroms, it's, it's 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 a it's ethnic cleansing. The pogroms were Russian government funded uh, oh. expeditions oh. to rape, murder, and destroy Jewish villages. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's sort of the, I think it 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 brings into sharp relief that the difference in strategies between Nick Sarwark and Arvin Vora. Nick Sarwark, you know, one of his best debate was that I can. I can teach a nice person to be a libertarian, but a jerk's a jerk's a jerk. Whereas Arvin's attitude is, I'll find the worst, nastiest person possible and get them to be a libertarian. Well, and it's also, it speaks to why he likes the communists. Mm -hmm. So Arvin has a soft spot in the gray lump that was once a human heart uh, (laughs) for the anarcho-communist and libertarian socialists because... Wait, hold on. Anarcho-communists? I mean, haven't haven't they how, haven't they, like, annihilated each other just by trying to exist? They're try- they tried. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they're, they're sort of get along in a way because so, they're because they're so ridiculously radical, they kind of well, like... And they, Arvin, Arvin fundamentally believes that if you believe in complete dismantling of government, it doesn't matter what comes next. That's the goal. We can all work together on that. Even if what comes next is ethnic cleansing. Even if what comes next is communism. Uh, I hate to tell you, but... If we can agree on total dismantling of the current government, we're all on the same page. That's what Arvin believes. The rest of us in that room don't. The rest of us believe, nah, Thanks, but no thanks. We'd rather focus on the areas where we agree, like rolling back government in a libertarian direction. So for him, it's like, you know, for most of the people in the room, it's we can work with anyone who's a fundamentally good person because we should be able to make an argument to a fundamentally good person why libertarianism is good for all people. Arvin's response is, no, if you believe that the government should do anything at all, you're a statist, murdering, welfareist, thieving, idiot bastard, and you should 
go home. And that is simultaneously insane and also won him about 10% of the vote. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, though. It's just like... But not the other 90. He's, like, railing against government. It's just like, what is a political party but, like, a government club? It's just like, what are you doing here? By the way, Chris, did you see the Reason Magazine uh, article about the convention? Uh, wait, didn't it just get released because the convention was going on until last night? Yeah, well, Matt Welch posted it. What yesterday or I, yeah? Well, I yeah I, I wasn't told to go look at it. So you might want to look look at that just for a, it'll give you sort of um an idea of what actually I may have to like Josh uh, Smith. Well, yeah, tell me, uh, Josh Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to hear I want to hear it for you guys. So Josh Smith was well, uh, um um challenging Star Wars for the fight for the chair. Yeah, he was the only real contender. I mean, there were four people running. One of them got in at the last minute, and the other was a communist. And the, and Josh Smith was the one that, going into it, that there was sort of a, a sense that he had, you know, somewhat of an outside chance if he was able to really make a case in the debate for why, you know, Sarwark's leadership is, you know, not so, is failing, and he could, and how he, and 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 if he had a better vision. I even told him, I was like, I'm totally willing to listen to your case. I mean, there had been so much crap thrown around and unfair accusations, you know, people calling him, saying that he was, like, pro-Nazi and, and and trying to go after his, like, his personal life and his divorce and his and his children and that kind of stuff. Oh, boy. So, I think it's, it's useful to mention at this time that there are four big, nebulous, not mutually exclusive caucuses within the Libertarian Party. Uh There are the pragmatists who run the gamut from pure centrist to minarchist or minimal government. The pragmatists believe that a political party should act like a political party. Our goal should be to get people elected, that if we have to make compromises across aisles to get elected or to get legislation passed or repealed, then that's necessary And that's what we should all be working towards. It shouldn't be about ideology so much as it should be about practicality. Let's get people elected. Let's move things in a libertarian direction. We shouldn't all have to be pure libertarians to make this work. Then there's the Mises caucus or the paleo-libertarians or conservatarians. The Ron Paul crowd. The Ron Paul crowd. (laughs) They tend to... They I didn't tend- hear what you said. You said Mises Caucus? Yeah, Ludwig. So, so it's named after an economist? M-I-S-E-S. So. Yeah. Okay, was- I, I'm sorry. I thought Kanye was in here somewhere for some reason. No, not, no, not Mises. Yeah. <laughs> so That's what Kanye's new album will be called. M-E-E-Z-U-S. Yes. Mises. Sorry. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, explain Mises. Ludwig von Mises, who actually was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, is one of the sort of intellectual heavyweights of libertarianism, he was a laissez-faire capitalist economist. And, I mean, depending on who you ask, the Mises Caucus, such as it is, is either a bold movement in bringing libertarian economic philosophy to the philosophy to the people, or it's a group that makes excuses for things like Ron Paul's racist tweets. Ah, yeah, that's... um. That that that's a yeah that's the thing you got to look out for. That that is the thing that happened. Yes, yes. While we were all here, 
and it, I doubt it was him personally doing it. I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to imagine Ron Paul, like, on his computer. <laughs> I'm going to tweet this. Yeah, yeah but that's yeah. the thing, though. It's just like Ron Paul still has to find that guy and fire him. It was, Ron Paul probably is about as likely to tweet as my dad is, you know? I know. Somebody's got, yeah, somebody, he's got people to use his phone. And when he's probably got some young, you know, volunteer or someone who works for him who, you know, maybe didn't quite, like, realize what that, that caricature represented. They just thought it was a bunch of still, know, no. bad-looking people. It didn't really see the obvious well, anti-Semitism. No, still, still that young one's got to take a time out in the corner or something like that. Oh, absolutely. And, and cultural Marxism really is a dog whistle. It is. But this is, a, this is emblematic of the Mises Caucus. So the pragmatists have often, especially in the last couple of years, been labeled like too left-leaning. Mm-hmm. Because the Pragmatic Caucus is more willing to support Antifa than they are Nazis. Mm-hmm. The pragmatists are more willing to support, uh, they're more willing to compromise with liberals on economic policies than they are with conservatives on social policies. Because their whole goal is we need to get elected and libertarianism should be compassionate and forward looking and it should help everyone. So if that means needing to reform or rework our welfare system instead of getting rid of it, then that's what we need to do. The Mises people take the opposite approach. They, you know, if it comes down to like a controversial issue within the liberty movement, they'll always take the right wing side. They're more, they're willing to compromise with conservatives on social issues, but they are unwilling to compromise with liberals on economic issues. Yeah, they'll say things like, you know, like when it comes to like uh, like social issues that, y- you know, you should have the right to be, you know, an, if you want to be a racist and discriminate or you don't like LGBT people, that's your per- your preference. And, you know, it isn't, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll be like, we aren't, we aren't pro like anything. Right, we're, we're not pro we're bigotry. Just, we're pro do whatever you want. And if yeah. what you want is to have, a whites-only lunch counter than that, you know, the government shouldn't be stopping you yeah, from doing that. I mean, that. that's that's one of the big distinctions. So basically, so basically, all of the worst shit all of the time. Yeah, well, it, all the worst shit if you want it, you know, as long as you're not forcing... Because the idea is, like, if it's a private... Like, they agree that the government shouldn't be allowed to discriminate, but they think that uh, private individuals should be able to. Um... Because freedom of association. You, you, well, that's the thing, though. It's, I, well, you know how I feel about it. It's just like, look, I, I can, I can, I, I can. Uh, okay, so look. If I can't get a cake, you're fine. But the amulet. Well, yeah. But the amulet's better come when it's called. Well, and I can kind of, I can kind of see their point. You know, in a in a perfect world where you can get a cake anywhere, then then yeah. I mean, I, it's, I mean, do you want to buy a cake oh, from a racist? I mean, right. and, in a, <laughs> want... and in a world. Well, I mean, what if you, what if you're in like. You know, in the middle of Kentucky, and there's only one cake shop. Well, sure, and obviously, and having the government force you to 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 do some it to force racists to sell things to people they don't like doesn't really make them less racist. So, in 2016, the the sort of hypothetical figurehead of the pragmatists was Gary Johnson, and the hypothetical figurehead of the Mises people was clearly Austin Peterson. And Austin Peterson made a big deal about this. Mm -hmm. It was like, why should a Jewish baker be forced to bake a Nazi cake? 
well, anti-discrimination laws don't cover swastikas anyway, but mm-hmm. if we're going to play <laughs> with your straw man... Yeah, the straw man... Well, the straw man is like, you know, the cake is the, the cake is the straw man. It's totally portal. And yeah, n- Nazi is not a protected like status, is it? No, it's no. Not. I mean, there are, I mean, I always like to use examples of you know like really vital services, like oh, you know, you don't you want to like go to a doctor and find out that you know you and your girlfriend are not going to get like healthcare for their for your daughter because right. You, so Gary Johnson's example. Uh, so this, I mean, anti-discrimination laws are are kind of a libertarian wedge issue, except that part of what we learned in 2016 and here in 2018 is that it's only really a wedge issue for like internet fedora neckbeard libertarians. It's not a wedge issue for the people who actually show up. Uh, in 2016, Austin Peterson made this whole big deal about like, should a Jewish baker have to bake a Nazi cake? Gary Johnson's response was, what if you're Muslim and you're driving cross country and no gas station in Montana will sell you gas because you're Muslim? Then you're just fucked. And that's not okay. That's why anti-discrimination laws exist. In a perfect world, there'd always be an alternative place where you could get your service. But as we've seen in this country, Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes, like, my mom tells stories as a kid of, of an attempted family vacation in Maine in the 60s where everywhere they went, her father, Benjamin Weiss, tried to reserve a hotel room under the name Benjamin Weiss, and every time they told him, I'm sorry, we don't serve your kind here, they actually said that? Yeah, oh. and they spent 24 oh. hours driving around Maine trying to find a hotel, and then they just drove back to New York because they couldn't find And they it. didn't even try to, like, say, oh, sorry, we're booked. They just said, no, no, Jews allowed. Wow. Yeah, they were just like, yeah, well, what year was it? It was early 60s. Okay. Well, so this is before the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, before the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, I mean, yeah, back then, if you if you were black and you wanted to travel, you better buy the Green Book because the Green Book will tell no. you. The Green Book will tell you where you can stay. It's true. It's true, and there were that's where some of these like uh, yeah like like events like 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 uh, what is the thing they have in Daytona Beach? That's like a big gathering. Anyway. What spring break? It's like no, it's it's like no. It um, there are certain places where um, where black people uh, uh, congregate uh, in like annual. Oh, it's the it's like a motorcycle. No wait. It's a bunch of um, African American like motorcycle enthusiasts that go to this place. I think it's in like South Carolina or something every year. And the reason they they go there is because it was one of the few places that they were allowed to, where they wouldn't get chased out of town by the cops. Wow, God, we got to figure out what the name of that thing was. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm sort of vaguely recollecting this. you might want to look more into it. I just remember, I'm trying to, I'm just sort of remembering there. There's yeah. this event with uh, where, where black uh, motorcycle enthusiasts go, and I think it's in South Carolina. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, 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 and it had started somewhere like, in the Green Book. Days, just, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that the Green Book's going to have to come back. Well, yeah, and I, I've had a lot of discussions with, you know, 
internet libertarians about this who are very they're very strongly like okay discrimination is not good but anti-discrimination laws are uh, in when it comes to public aco- in, in in when it comes to um public accommodation are an infringement well, on liberty one of the one of the compromises in quotes that has come up a lot is the idea that businesses perhaps should be allowed to discriminate but if there are categorical reasons that they choose to discriminate, they should have to like post it in their window. Mm-hmm. They should have to have signs that say like no blacks, no Jews, no gays. And because we live in a hyper social media aware world, the businesses that chose to do that would then be driven out of business by boycotts, protests, well, just internet shaming. General, you know. Yeah, well, the thing is, then you, well, that's not, that's not a guarantee of anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a guarantee right. of anything. I mean, the internet, I mean, the internet may give you, like, you know, zero stars, but then you can just turn around and say, well, this is, this is a local place. And, yeah. Well, but like, if, uh, the hell with everybody else. If a taco truck in Portland that happened to be run by white people could be driven out of business for not employing any actual Hispanic folk, then why would, a uh, why would a racist baker stay in business anywhere? Uh, but it's all, that's all. Well, it gets into a lot of hypothetical. Exactly. You I mean, get into the weeds. With I mean, it. the Colorado cake shop case is kind, is a narrow, is a ve- actually a very narrow thing. And it has to do with this idea that, I mean, I, I think Nick explained, it's not about bake the cake. It's about bake the cake versus sell the cake. You know, like the Austin Peterson folks, like they would post memes of like someone holding a gun to someone's head saying, bake the cake. <laughs> but that isn't really what it's about. The, the Colorado cake shop thing was the baker was saying, hey, I'll sell whatever's in the freezer. But if but if you want me to create a customized thing for a for a specific event, he didn't want to be part of creating a customized piece of art for a for a for a for an <laughs> event for something that he morally doesn't approve our of. cakes art is part of the yeah. question so it doesn't mean that he can just you know the, the 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 law that you know requires you you not discriminate against lgbt people still applies when it comes to so you know, engage doing commercial transactions well where's the line folks because the line apparently has to do with when he has to create a, a customized it basically him decorating the cake is a is part of his is a is a is an act of self-expression. To be clear, the Supreme Court ruling didn't even do that. The Supreme Court ruling found that yeah, what the when the case, when the bake the cake case came to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, mm-hmm. that the Civil Rights Commission, whose job is to be an unbiased arbiter in determining whether this is about freedom of speech and expression and religion or versus anti-discrimination, they found that the Civil Rights Commission of Colorado was painfully biased in its own deliberation and because they had violated their own charter by being biased in their deliberation, the case had to be thrown out in favor of the baker. Sounds like somebody was looking for an easy out. Well, they, they specified, look, there's not enough. There, we want a critical mass of cases like this before we create a broad precedent. So for now, we're going to rule 
on the detailed specifics of this case. And the thing that was persuasive for them was shit like the civil, one of the members of the Civil Rights Commission basically claiming that his Christian beliefs were fake, that he was just a bigot pretending to be a Christian in order to get away with this. That's a thing that's, that someone on the commission said to him. Well, that's on the record. Oh, some, well, sometimes that happens. I don't, I don't, I I don't buy it. I I mean, he, I don't, I mean, a lot of people, a lot lot of people are bigots pretending to be Christians. So, well, do you think this guy honestly is just a bigot and it has nothing to do with his Christian beliefs? Um, hard to say. You'd have to look. Because they basically said that no, like not wanting to participate in a gay wedding. That isn't, that isn't, that he doesn't really believe that that's against his, basically told him that, uh, no, that's not, they they basically told him that, no, that's not against your religion. We would know. Well, there are other Christians who don't do that. So (laughs) you'd have to get into the question, what is, you know, what, how did you get to your beliefs? And if are, yeah. are they really your beliefs? This is a long way to get back to the four caucuses. Yes. Yeah. We were talking about the Mises caucus. Yeah. You, you do have a tendency to go over. Okay. So, okay. So, okay. Give me, okay. What were we got the pragmatics and the Mises. Yeah. The pragmatics who are sort of centristy, compromising, tend to break left a little bit. People like me and Ben. Uh, you've got the Mises people who are like one notch more extreme libertarian than the pragmatists and who tend to break right on issues. Uh, And then the third is the radicals and the radicals are, they're the all or nothing libertarians. They're what I would call the book club libertarians Mm -hmm. who don't want any libertarian party officers, leaders, candidates, activists who don't 100% subscribe to everything in the platform. So, so the Republican pay, playbook. I mean, a lot of them were like, um, "This is the party line, and you better toe it." But even more extreme, they're like, they're the ones who they were. A lot of them refused to vote for Johnson Weld in 2016 simply because they didn't want a libertarian ticket to succeed if that libertarian ticket was moderate. Oh, well, okay. So that's the third group, right? That's the third group, the radicals. Okay. And then the fourth, which is the newest and wackiest, is this group calling themselves the Audacious Caucus uh, and, and who talk a lot about bottom unity because what they're all about is... Well, well explain what bottom... Where it has to do with the, the chart, what the the four quadrants. What, do you, what is that chart called? The Nolan chart. Are you familiar with the Nolan chart, Chris? Is that where you put a spinny top in the middle and hope it never... Can you just answer my uh, question? No, I don't know what the Nolan okay, chart just, is. The Nolan chart, you might just Google it. It's, it's basically... Uh, uh, it's, it's a chart that sort of... Where you, where, that plots uh, people's uh, beliefs on a, on a, on a, on a, on a two-axis chart. Uh, on, one, on, the, on the x-axis is conservative to... To, to liberal and on the y axis it's uh, authoritarian and libertarian. Oh yeah. So the idea so usually authoritarians on the top and libertarians on the bottom. Oh. So that. the idea is that on the bo- bottom unity from both extremes of the spectrum. Okay, from, from so it doesn't matter. Right. Just as long as you're 
libertarian and but you know conservative or liberal is it doesn't matter how extreme you are on either one end uh so the i yeah i I don't know i just find i i I find that um a lot of people like don't really you know you don't really go for that they still want their they still want people on the other axis to like be kind of be like them on that axis so the the audacious caucus their mantra is fuck respectability politics they like to wave dildos around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they t- they tend to be uh, they, uh, they 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 some they, of, they wear shirts with uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, Karl Marx and uh, and Vladimir Lenin on them. <laughs> they, 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 they they pump their fists in the air. A lot of them have colorful uh, uh, mohawks. So they and, yeah they call themselves the new radical caucus. Yeah. Because they feel like the radicals have gotten too have, tame. Have gotten too tame. <laughs> like they're too mainstream, man. New radicals uh, are like a 90s band. They're in your face. Yeah, and what I found fascinating about them is just how many of them are are poor. Mm-hmm. They're they are largely the working poor who came to libertarianism because they're like fuck the system, man. Fuck the banks and their fucking mortgage payouts. Like, fuck student loans. Fuck everything. Tear the system down. These are probably people who were part of Occupy Wall Street and may even have, you know, kind of gotten into Antifa. Well, they should really change their really change their name because New Radicals was a '90s rock. Band. Well, no, that's what Ben is. He said they're yeah. they are the they're they're like the. I mean, the Radicals used to be considered the most in your face extreme, whatever. Yeah, right. They're called they call themselves the audacious guys. Yeah. They had a candidate for vice chair, James Weeks II. The guy who stripped. The guy who stripped at the 2016 convention. He ran for vice chair at this one, and he was wearing a Make Racists Afraid Again hat. That, it, that looks like the Trump one, the MAGA hat. Right, but it's an Antifa hat instead. Yes. Because he's an Antifa guy. You know, I hate to tell you this, but it's just like, at that range, from a sniper scope, I can't tell the difference. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> make Donald Drumpf again. Mm-hmm. You know, from last well, week tonight, the, and I never the, wear it. Well, yeah, you wouldn't wa- because you wouldn't want anyone. Oh no, no, no! You no, you, you, know, you you display it at your home. But yeah. the, great, the greatest thing, the, the greatest thing, um, John Oliver said about those hats is that they don't make those hats because if they made those hats, they would spend more time making the hats than making the show. Yes. Well, you know, and they would be in there, hat manufacturers. There was a a, a, a lady who um, got pepper sprayed at, at Berkeley wearing one that said um, "Make Bitcoin Great Again." Oh well, um, I'd love to see the ghost. But some Antifa person just saw a red hat and, and pepper sprayed her. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, I can't. Where she was just like a she was just like a like a libertarian. She wasn't a Trump supporter. That's the thing, though. Just like. I, I know exactly. At that range, it's like until you get, you know, within, you know, handshake distance, you can't really. You Did you ever see that? Whose lines are, was it anyway? Um, um, the guy from, God, which one was it? It's just like, who's um, who, who? Ryan Styles. It was just like famous sayings, and and his famous saying was famous one liner was, "Don't fire until you see the lights." Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're, are we recording a podcast, or are we just having a friendly chat? I'm hoping more. this would have the vibe of a friendly chat. Okay, well, that's fine. We'll fix it in post. I just, I just, I just don't want to go down too many rattles. 
Okay, so we've got so we've reestablished. Okay, so okay. Four caucuses. You're part of the non batch Where are the where are the where are, where are the praggies? I don't identify with caucuses, man. Yeah. I don't. Don't put your labels. I I, on I me. generally vote with the, with the praggies. I actually made a concerted effort to try to balance between the pragmatists and the radicals mm-hmm. because I like a lot of the radicals. Well, I, I like <coughs> I like them. I kind of like that sort of all right. We're about being pure, and this is what the pure libertarian message is. They, you know, uh, well, one I of my favorite radicals is Karen Ann Harlow's, the pink hair lady. So right. what, what's she into? So Karen what, what, Ann... What, both, what's her bag? So she's both a key figure in the Radical Caucus, and I understand it, a member of the Mises Caucus. However, as a member of the Libertarian National Committee, during the 2016 election, even though Gary Johnson and Bill Weld were collectively just like not her thing. She's a radical anarchist. She believes in tearing down the state on day one. She went all in on working for the Johnson Weld campaign because as a member of the Libertarian National Committee, that's her job. She can believe in total anarchy. She can believe in a govern in a stateless capitalist utopia, and and she can want candidates who will try to do that on day one, but if the party chooses a pragmatist, she will work for that pragmatist. And that's something that I've grown to really appreciate about her. Mm-hmm. You uh, met you met her at the state convention, Chris. Right? She's got pink hair. Huh? Briefly. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, did she strike you as a whack job? Well, no, but. Yeah. Frankly, I didn't talk to her at all. Oh, okay. Long enough. But I mean, okay. But I mean, I just like all the other whack jobs, like you know, just sort of just popped out of the popped out of the ground really fast. So curiously, Karen Ann was one of the first people to call for Arvin's head. Mm Hmm. Ooh. Even though they're ideologically, you know, ideologically almost identical. Right. They really do believe the same things. Her response was. You're ruining the brand. You're ruining the message. Mm-hmm. You're it's, distracting yeah. from all the work we're trying to do. Yes, yeah, I think her her exact phrase when talking, you know, in in supporting the motion to suspend him was, "It isn't too much anarchist. It's too much jackass." Uh, so <clears throat> that's wait, how long have we been on? I don't know. I need to pee. Can, can we pause for a moment? Yeah, so do I. I'll I'll be right back. Pias. Okay, I'll be right back. I'll, I'm gonna leave the thing running. Okay. I don't know why you think. Okay, fine. I just find that song annoying. <laughs> oh yeah, annoying. absolutely. Because yeah, later mind. It's just repetitive, boring, and uh, you got the music. Nah, well, don't get that song in my head. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. So. So the stage is set. In coming into this election, we have these four caucuses. The centrist, left-leaning pragmatists, the right-leaning Mises, the the radical, radical caucus, and the vaguely communist (laughs) and largely, like, poor street punks now up, audacious caucus. Uh... So, um, how are they? How did they fare this weekend? Well, well, there were four candidates for chair. 
Uh, two of them were pragmatists. Mm-hmm. One of them was Nick running for re-election. Uh-huh. Uh, who, it's notable, he very intentionally and very clearly stayed out of the Arvin fiasco. And when the LNC did eventually vote to suspend slash expel, it came down to his vote as chair as the tiebreaker. And he chose to abstain, meaning the motion failed. He didn't do that because he approved of what Arvin was saying or doing. He clearly doesn't. He did it because he doesn't believe it's the chair's job to get involved in those sort of hyper-partisan issues. So, so here he comes in seeking re-election. A guy named Chris Thrasher, who used to work for a Democratic and Libertarian Alaska Senator Mike Gravel, he decided to challenge Sarwark as another pragmatist, saying, like, I agree with everything you're trying to do, you should have taken a stand against Arvin. Yeah, I, I agree with that assertion. Yeah, he wildly left the party after the Arvin thing happened, and and, and then, then and then came ago. came back a week ago and decided to run for chair, just kind of on very short notice. Uh, I mean, that's <sighs> say what you want. I mean, he believed in that one thing, right? Then Thrasher Thrasher essentially made very little impact. You know, his voting base would have been the same voting base as Nick. And Arvin aside, the last four years with Nick Sarwark have seen an explosion of libertarian elected officials, state representatives, mayors, city council folk, people on all sorts of minor elected offices, either getting elected as libertarians or switching over. Most recently, Aubrey Dunn Jr., of New Mexico was elected the Republican commissioner of public lands and has now switched to being a libertarian. And in his position as commissioner of public lands is actually taking on the oil and gas companies. That's a win for Sarwark. Okay. So next candidate. (laughs) So Thrasher, throughout Thrasher, same voting base didn't matter. Uh, Then there's Joshua Smith. Joshua Smith came in as the Mises Caucus endorsed candidate, uh, which immediately got him labeled a potential white supremacist sympathizer, uh, a Ron Paul libertarian for both good and ill. He tried, I think, to make it about ideas. He wanted to focus less on getting elected officials and more on getting membership numbers and revenue. Uh, And then the fourth candidate and the real like wrench in the whole thing was Matt Keenel, the communist, the anarcho-communist representing the audacious caucus in the election. The radicals basically stayed out of the chair's race. Mm -hmm. Matt Keenel, who is basically a grown-up who was formerly a homeless Antifa street punk in Detroit who used to, you know, squat like in abandoned buildings. buildings. Yeah, squat in, you know, that, they, he's sort of a caricature of, of uh, what you think of, like, a throwing the rock through the Starbucks window, right, you know, setting me. dumpsters on fire type 
You reminded me of the WTO protesters yes. when I was a kid. He probably was one, you know. It's like so, that, that kind of that kind of guy. Okay, so I guess that was settled. Star Wars wins. <laughs> and of course, and what it ended the debate basically ended up being a lot of Josh and Matt, you know, like uh, attacking each other. You know, Matt. I, Matt obviously knew he had no chance in hell of winning, but he really, 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 really. Hated Right. And Josh, because Josh has basically been saying he doesn't think the communists should even have a seat at the table. He doesn't think they belong there. And whereas, yeah. whereas, whereas Sarwark is very clearly, you know, he's saying, I, I'm not about throwing people out. The, <laughs> you know? the Mises people. Uh, well, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Anarcho-communism. Right. And, and but <laughs> is the solution to try to make them feel unwelcome, like even in the building? Well, when I want when I want somebody to go away, I don't yell at them. Yeah. Well, and and the Mises folks them there longer trying to engage you. Well, the Mises caucus approach is to try to yell at them and shame so, them and call them names. What of yeah. a phrase like they'll they'll go away if they like find out there's nothing to do here. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily Josh's preferred way of doing things, but he got kind of sucked into it when people started leveling personal attacks on him. He and he I he I talked to him about this and he's like, "Yeah, I I took the bait way too many times." And he he knows, he knows he, you know. <laughs> he's he he he's not stupid. I mean, he he know what knows what happened and he I think he's you know, he just unfortunately it's hard for him to resist when someone so clearly baits him. You know, he doesn't think that we should, those people belong in the party. And you know what? He has a point. But the, but that approach is not the way to deal with them. Right. One of the phrases that keeps being thrown around is physical removal. Yeah. This belief... Uh, that's a Hoppian thing. Right. This belief that, that the non-aggression principle, this very libertarian belief and agreement that we all make when we join the party to never use force or the threat of force to achieve our political ends. There's this belief that physically removing communists is not a violation of the non-aggression principle because communism as an idea is a violation of the non-aggression principle. Communism is aggression, therefore we are justified in our aggression against communists. And physical removal, not necessarily beating someone up, but just sort of like asking them, you know, telling them to leave, you know. Yeah, basically telling them you're trespassing, you know. <laughs> you don't belong here. You're not welcome to be part of our club, you know. I'm sorry, I'm, my brain is stuck on this loop. Of the new radicals or what? No, of the idea that if you're, I mean, if you... Being a libertarian and an authoritarian communist at the same time. It's just well, like, the thing is, here's here's their reasoning. It's like they want communism, but they think the way to they're they're the means of achieving it is to destroy the government, creating anarchy, and then building communism on top of that in a voluntary way. But it, they're, what they're, they're what they're saying is the reason they think they belong with us is what we all. We want to tear down the government just like you want to tear down the government. Right, we, we just, all want to dismantle it completely. And once we, so. and then we can go our separate ways after we're done dismantling it. I don't know. <laughs> like, you, I mean, you know what happens right after you tear down the government? 
Um, I don't know. Every the the the, the nothing good. I don't know. The rush to fill a vacuum. <laughs> something good, but. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not. I mean, that's the thing, and that's like Arvin wants to get rid of all welfare and all uh, public education immediately. Immediately, as he emphasizes that. All right. And I'm like, so then what happens? <laughs> so interestingly, usually, usually, I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking, I, uh, I, I, I jag Arvin's car at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we should, we should get to the vice chair's race because there was some interesting stuff there. Oh yes. So, but basically, the end result was that, that in the debate, uh, Josh basically got baited into, you know, making it about Bill Wells. He got fucking pantsed. Yes. Well, and, and sorry, Josh, if you're listening to this, you got you got pants. Yeah, uh, he knows it. <laughs> well, you know, but he got the consolation prize of getting an at-large seat on the LNC. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, so my, so my impression, my impression of Joshua Smith is that both by virtue of getting that Mises Caucus endorsement early, and and like running on the sort of anti-Arvin plus anti-communism, he ended up surrounding himself with advocates for him who were bad people. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the the shadiest and shittiest thing that happened amidst all of this is that, like, a day before the vote, yeah. a guy named Augustus Invictus, who was a former member of the Libertarian Party, Ooh. and publicly avowed Nazi uh, who is removed from the party for being a Nazi Augustus Invictus endorsed Joshua Smith for chair and to a lot of people who already associated the Jesus caucus with white supremacist apologies uh, that was all they needed to know to know that they were not going to vote for Joshua Smith for anything what what did uh... What did well, what did Josh Smith say about the endorsement? Oh, his immediate his immediate response was, "I thoroughly denounce this. Yeah. I thoroughly denounce him. This man is a black stain on the history of the party. Uh, his people are awful. I don't want to have anything to do with him." He was incredibly clear, but it was he, a fake endorsement. It was a and oh yeah, it was yeah, it was it was a total troll. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what happened afterwards is as soon as the vote was over, Augustus Invictus recorded this video saying, ha ha, I firebombed the Libertarian Convention by screwing up their vote by endorsing this candidate. Suck my dick, Joshua Smith. Ha ha ha. But honestly, I don't think that's what did. I mean, the no, people who are really upset were the were the were the audacious people. They were the ones who are like, "See, see, this proves what we've been saying all along that that Smith is a is an apologist for white nationalists and blah 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 blah." Yeah, oh boy. basically, how how are we going to get past? How? I'm sorry, I'm skipping to the end. So there's a lot of infighting. It's just like how? I mean, how 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 do you we get past this and? We did get past it. I mean, Josh and Nick are, are, are friends now. Or the, <laughs> the end result, the end result of both elections, is that Nick Sarwark is the chair for an unprecedented third term with a with a so, with a huge mandate. With a huge mandate, a big win for the pragmatists, big win for the party, 
And he won in part because his whole thing is staying above the fray, focusing on the work. For vice chair, uh, Joshua Smith's running mate, Alex Merced, who's young, Hispanic, New Yorker, he actually won the vice chair race. So the Mises caucus lost the chairship, but won the vice chair in part by having a much less divisive candidate running against a loathed incumbent. Right. Uh, the secretary's race ended up being between a pragmatist and Karen Ann Harlos. Karen Ann, as we mentioned, she's a radical, but she's also a really dedicated team player who does what's best for the party, even if the party isn't doing what she thinks is best for her radical beliefs. She believes a representative should represent. Yeah, yes. so she... Okay. That's, uh, that's the... Um... Okay, so she's still in. Any other... Any other? Yeah, she's the party secretary now. So she's the secretary. And the uh, treasurer race went to the pragmatic incumbent. So we've got pragmatists as chair and treasurer, a Mises guy as vice chair. Although not... Like right, a less a, a less extreme, a very nice, more guy. friendly, and definitely not like you can't. He's he actually brings some diversity to yeah. it. So, sort of the white supremacist sympathizer thing doesn't apply to him exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I told know you that he's not. You, didn't you check out his website? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It, it was a, the, the video was a little long-winded, but it was yeah. It good. yeah no, well, yeah, and the man talks. It, it's listening to him talk is like reminds me of when I put my Audible app on double speed. Oh boy, <laughs> he, he did. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, he talks ninety miles a minute. <laughs> but, but he's a super nice guy. He's he's like a geeky bow tie wearing, you know, like uh, you know, you know, tech nerdy type dude. I mean, he he's he doesn't have any of that Arvin, you know, like, yeah. personality-wise, he's so the opposite of Arvin. He was, he I was, essentially, I was, he's essentially the best possible representation of the good aspects of the Mises Caucus. Right. And, you know, he's their best foot forward, and he got vice chair uh, not quite overwhelmingly. Boy, he squeaked in. He squeaked but in. I, but, but there they are. So, so the radicals, the Mises, the pragmatists, all have representation. They all got representation in the officers, in the LNC at large members, and as far as I can tell, in the regional representatives and alternates. The only caucus that got, as far as I can see, the only caucus that got completely left out of all the elections was the Audacious Caucus, who I think spent too much time saying ridiculous things like rent is theft and waving dildos in the air. And calling they, the Audacious Caucus. Mm-hmm. They yeah. never... I mean, they kind of never came across as serious. Well, I, well then they, they tried to pass this, uh, this, this, accord, this accord. Which, you know... I, I mean, if you want to have an accord, it has to be, you know, written with, with input from more than one side. <laughs> you know? It was basically like, okay, Oops. what's all... Huh? Whoops. I mean, it was basically saying that we should all, you know, be, you know, endorse unity regardless of, you know, where, 
you know, where we want to end up after we've dismantled the state. And the thing that, that really struck Ben, and I completely agree with him, is their so-called accord that they wanted us to formally adopt makes no mention whatsoever of the statement of principles. It's only the NAP. And the NAP isn't actually like an official part of the LP platform. So they're just like cherry picking the the documents they want to follow. Well, the statement of principles, and you're familiar with the statement of principles. And yeah. What it's I, One of the, I mean, the three main, I mean, it basically says the, 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 the purpose of the Libertarian Party is to, is to, you know, to advance specific, to defend specific, you know, rights and advance our political goals, specifically the right to life, liberty, and property. And those are essential rights. They don't believe in private property. Oh, well. That, <laughs> that is the, nope. that's the one thing. Liberty, speech, and action, fine. Life, the ability to not be, a, you know, physically harmed, yeah. Okay, so the Audacious Caucus is... Um, on the sidelines for now. Um, yeah, I mean, if unless they can get on board with the statement of principles, I don't see how we're going to have any sort of formal, you know, acceptance of them as as you know, bona fide big L libertarians. So, do you think you're in a good place now? Oh yeah. What do you think, Ben? Okay, think... you're going to 2020, and I'm thinking. I don't know, man. Oh, he just tuned out. He was looking at his phone. That's okay. <laughs> I'll make this quick. I'll make this. I'll make this quick because you're going into 2020, right? And you got a you um, people in other parties like me mm-hmm. have a lot of work to do. And uh, you think you're? I mean, do you, do you think now with you know everybody who's got the jobs that they have now, um, mm-hmm. they're gonna you know yeah. are they are gonna like be able to pull off? Yeah. The good news is. The good news is Nick Sarwark is a total steady hand. He's been pushing us in the right direction, getting people elected, raising money, increasing membership. So that's all good. Alex Merced brings youth, energy, diversity, uh, and a whole plan to use social media to like make the camp to make the 2020 campaign about us. Karen Ann is an extremely hard worker, Tim Hagen, is, as far as I know, on the LNC now, in general, we're going to have a lot of people like Joshua Smith who have real visions balanced with people like Sam Goldstein who are like, work a day, I know how this party runs people. We've got this combination of youth and vision on one side and age and experience and steadiness on the other. So I don't think we could... I don't think we could have asked for a better team to push us towards the election. And of course the elephant in the room the whole weekend is Bill Weld. Is Bill Weld <laughs> and Sarwark. You, you could be seen everywhere, you know. You yeah, the, who was everywhere? The former elephant in the room. Yeah. 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 He was at like every fucking panel. He was in the debates, in the elections. He sat, he participated, he talked to people. He is I mean, he's really clearly laying the groundwork for a 2020 campaign. Oh yeah, because you have to—you actually have to show up at these things. You got to be remembered. Well, and yeah. a, and a lot of the weld haters who feel like, okay, he's just a Republican who acts like a Democrat, you know, and worried that he's going to bring us—you know—he's basically going to turn us into Republican light. Sarwark very, you know, convincingly pointed out, hey, 
look, Bill Weld has been for the last two years, he stayed in the party. He didn't leave. And he's been raising money and, and building and, and, and helping endorsing libertarian candidates. And the effect is not, and the effect is not, Bill Weld is not making the libertarian party more like him. He's becoming more like the libertarian party. And in the meantime, he's fucking Bill Weld. He's someone people know. He's someone he, also who has experience in getting elected. He has more, he actually has more experience, more name recognition, more of a national profile than Gary Johnson did. Mm-hmm. You know, people in 2016 would sometimes say, like, why isn't your ticket reversed? Why isn't Bill Weld on top? Because Gary Johnson brought Bill because Weld Gary in. Because Gary Johnson brought Bill Weld in. But now he's here and he's staying. Mm-hmm. And he's get and he's getting more libertarian. The party isn't becoming more like Weld. Weld is becoming a better libertarian. Yeah. And less of a Republican and more... Well, and, it, and it all comes back to Sarwark's great line. He was asked, what do purists and pragmatists mean to the party? And his response was, nothing. I don't care. Purist, pragmatist, doesn't matter. There are two kinds of people in the party. Good people, nice people, and jerks. <laughs> Purist, pragmatist, left, right, it doesn't matter. If you're a nice person... I can teach you to be a libertarian, but a jerk's a jerk's a jerk. And his, the underlying message there was clearly Bill Weld is a good person. He's a nice person. He brings money, experience, infrastructure, name recognition. And he's trying to help. And Sarwark, (laughs) Sarwark is teaching him to be a libertarian. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So... and why would you want to push someone out with that kind of experience and that kind of influence who's trying to help us? Yeah. He's trying to help us succeed. Okay, so... <laughs> I mean, okay, last question. What's, what, what's the downside? And, 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 and that's the thing that, you know, Josh walked right into. You know, they, they each got a chance, all the candidates got a chance to ask uh, one of the other candidates a question directly and so josh was like hmm, what should i ask nick and someone in the audience yelled out what do you think about bill weld and so josh was like yeah nick what do you think about bill weld and then which was great through a curveball turned out to be a soft yeah and nick was like what do i think of bill weld well i think bill weld is still in this party and he hasn't left. And he's been doing. He's been endorsing and raising money and doing all these things. Right. Well, and I I love the point he made that like people show up at libertarian conventions once. Mm-hmm. They show up once. They run for office, either in the party or for the presidential nomination, and then they don't get it and they leave. And you know what? Bill Weld is still here. And how are you enjoying your first convention, Joshua Smith? Yeah, and where are we going to see you again in two years? You know, hmm. yeah. How, was, how long has Josh Smith been in the party? Oh, he's been in the party over ten years, but he hasn't he's, come to the convention. Yeah. He's actually the region a regional rep for um, uh, where he lives down uh, near Vancouver. Okay. So he's he's been in the party. Is, yeah. is, is, okay. is it his first national convention though? It is his first national convention. Yeah. So you, but he's been involved for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Let me let me ask you the last question. Okay. Okay. You got all these you got all these cool people, and you sort of dodged a bullet with you know Arvin and uh, you know and 
Yeah, no kidding. Like them. So with all, so you're pretty much setting yourself up for the next two years. Um, yeah. How, well, and I think how, it's very important going into the come going into a presidential election year next. Uh, you know, in the next two years. So how? Um, what do you? Um, what ideas do you have for like you know coming together and um, you know making a difference? Do you move? Yeah. Forward? Well, I think it would really, it really, I think if Bill Weld keeps showing that he can be helpful and, and he can help, like if he can actually help get people elected like Matt Dubin. Yeah. I think the key is to pick key candidates, key races that are relatively cheap, you know, small potatoes. So not millions of dollars, but like thousands of dollars. Pick these small races like Matt Dubin's state house race or like the guy who's the mayor of a small city in California or like the state house races in New Hampshire and Nebraska uh, where libertarians are already there. Pick these small races and go all in on mm -hmm. them because the best thing we can do is start building a bench. Right. And then in two years in Austin at our next convention, Bill Weld, when they're doing the nominating speeches, can have all the people that he helped get elected come on the stage and talk about how he helped them and brought them, you know. Right. Got the money and support and made them competitive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he can say, you know, if you want more of this, imagine if I'm president, how much I, what I can do, you know. All right. If I get, I mean, if Bill Weld actually does get elected president, you know, I mean, can you imagine? Well, I can imagine, but I'm also imagining the the steep the steep learning curve that everybody else has to go through. Well, sure. And can well, you imagine? Can you imagine? Guy. Can you imagine Bill Weld on the presidential I ticket actually running a competitive presidential campaign? How many libertarians that's going to bring out? So, well, he might he might actually like beat the Democrat, but I don't think that's enough. So, so speaking to what I think you were just getting at. My my impression, what would happen if Bill Weld somehow managed to get maybe, let's say, a plurality in both the popular vote and the Electoral College, and then like a slim bipartisan majority in the House to become president, my expectation would be that he would, his senior officers, his cabinet, would, would overwhelmingly be Democrats and Republicans with libertarian leanings. And then ideally, he but, would pack the second tier staff, the kinds of jobs where you are expected to come in fresh and learn from the ground up. He would pack those jobs with libertarian activists who could then get promoted every year or so and eventually go home and say, you know, I was deputy undersecretary of the interior for farm subsidies, and here I am back home in Iowa running for house. Like, that's what a Weld presidency could do for the party. Uh, and I, and the other thing, of course, is that people are already saying that, you know, he endorsed Larry Sharp for governor of New mm -hmm. York. He's doing a lot of work for the Sharp campaign. That's Larry Sharp's gubernatorial race in New York is naturally a severe long shot, mm -hmm. but he's out fundraising the Republicans, something like five to one, and he's 
finally they did a poll that included him, and he is polling in second place. Well, and the polls are always just between uh, Cuomo and Nixon, almost entirely. And I, I would argue, I mean, Nixon has been going on all the late night talk shows and getting all this media attention on TV all the time. And Larry, it's like, I don't, it's, they just, the media, there's definitely a media bias against libertarian candidates. They, they, they look, they're like, ah, you guys are kind of on the fringe. You don't have a chance. You're not relevant. Why are you calling me, Chris? Hold on, hold on. Sorry. No. You did that thing again. (laughs) The, the assumption that people are running with, the assumption is that whether Larry Sharp wins governor or not, this race could still get him national attention, national name recognition, and put him in a good spot to be Weld's VP candidate. Mm-hmm. And if it comes in as Weld Sharp, that's something that a lot of libertarians get behind, and that eventually I think Americans could get behind. Can you imagine that, Chris? Weld Sharp? I could imagine Weld Sharp, uh, and, and the book sticker would definitely look good. And that, that's something even, like, the party might be able to kind of unite behind. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard Sharp speak before. He, I mean, you know, he, he doesn't sound like, you know, like, fatally flawed. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah, he's really one of the best of us. Well, yeah, you're supposed to send the best. Mm-hmm. He 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 narrowly lost the VT nomination to uh, to Weld to in twenty sixteen. Well, you know maybe that's just the order it has to happen. And because all, all the radicals were getting behind him because they were so opposed to Weld, they they felt like all right, we gave you Gary, we want to we want to have you know, and and what Gary kept saying is, look, I know you guys want it, but the the people at CNN are not going to put you know Larry Sharp on TV the same way they will Bill Weld. Right, Bill Weld. Sure, we had Bill to Bill Weld. Bill Weld actually, I thought this was funny. He said at the like VIP lunch, "Oh, I could walk into the CNN offices and get on TV like that anytime I want." During the convention, he left for a couple of hours, got interviewed on CNBC. Mm-hmm. Because Bill Weld can do that. They know who he is. He's, you know, <laughs> yeah, because he's not being billed as just. You know the libertarian candidate forever. He's yeah. being billed as the former governor of Massachusetts, right? He's and former fed, and the former federal prosecutor who hired Robert Mueller, yes, out of San Francisco and into DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, okay. I just, I mean, if there's any takeaway, I would like, I would like to impart to you, Chris, is that yes, there are these noisy kind of jerks in the Libertarian Party. They exist, but they are not. Hey, they're, they're not running the show. Oh, and remember when we were caucusing, caucusing for Bernie and like before, you know, b- before the Democrats drove mm-hmm. into the arms of the Libertarian Party. There's some real jerk, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, Bernie, yeah. There's some real Bernie in that. Uh, yeah. There's some uh, real jerks who support Bernie. <laughs> there's some real, yeah. There's some real jerks who support Hillary, Bernie. Yeah, there's. I mean, I don't think the jerk problem is really all that much worse. Yeah. So the the, the socialist Bernie bros, you've got, I mean, I I think we're tame by comparison. (laughs) So I I, I would hope that people, you and people like you, I I mean, I I really hope that the party is able to make a good case for voters like you. Well, I'm, 
I'm I'm willing to listen to anybody who has like something that is just you know not batshit and saying that they sincerely believe in, even if I don't agree. Exactly. I, I need to. I, mean, I need. I need to know that they're. You know, I need to know that they're trying to like. You know, if they even if they have a solution that they don't, that you know that I don't personally like subscribe to. Mm-hmm. It's workable, you know. Mm-hmm. It won't. It won't, yeah. it, won't it, it won't just out. It's not outright trying to get me killed. Well, yeah, and if you're not able to persuade someone to your point of view, it's either because you're not doing a good enough job of explaining it or there's a flaw in the idea. For, <laughs> as, a, as a total side note, uh, one of the people nominated for the LNC at large happened to be a trans woman uh, who wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wasn't at this convention. She couldn't go. But another trans woman got up on stage and spoke for her. And... There was, there was an interesting contingent of trans people at this convention yeah. who were being visible, being vocal, and getting applause. Yeah, actually, actually you know, if I if I had gone, I'd probably be sitting. I would have probably been sitting. I, I, I would love for you to be part of that. I just I, I keep feel I keep getting this that you got the wrong impression just from hearing a few voices. You know, that's the thing though. It was just like uh, that. Those it, 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 it sets off for your. Most, yeah, those were most of the voices that I've heard, and those people were saying like, "Yeah, um, well, things I couldn't be down with." Like I kept trying to steer you towards like people like Michelle. Well, you know, she wasn't talking to me. Well, she was running. She's working the room, you know. Well, and you know. I mean, that's this is the thing is that the the people who are loud on the internet, they're loud on the internet because that's what they do. The people who are actually doing the work of the party aren't on the internet as much because they're doing the work. So lots of people, it's not just you. I've been seeing this a lot with, uh, with my LARP friends. <laughs> a lot of people have this really nasty negative perception of the liberty movement in general and the Libertarian Party well, because they see these fedora, neckbeard, internet troll contrarians, many of whom are also vocal Trump supporters, calling themselves libertarian. Yeah, that's that is that is unfortunately the image you're going to have to overcome. Right. I mean, it's it's affecting me. I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, my friends are my friends are in this thing, but they're also in it with a lot of people who like are liberal, but they didn't show up. Yeah. I mean, there's a handful of them. Oh, no, they showed up. Well, they showed up at the state convention. It was crazy. Did they? Well, who are you talking about at the state convention? No, the state well, convention was I'm a little gonna, weird. I'm not going yeah. to come back to buy me. I mean, I know a few like Mark Kibble. Well, I don't want to name names. but <laughs> And, you know, like, I remember you were talking about hearing support for the Bundys. Yeah, the Bundys. What the hell was up with that? Well, here's the thing. The Bundys may be jerks, but also the federal government went a little overboard in prosecuting them. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm trying to make, an exa- trying to make examples out of them. So I think there are a lot of the. I think they they, they tried to throw the book at them, and a lot of those charges were not. Were, it was a little overboard. They tried to make an example out of the Bundys, and it wasn't entirely fair. And it was, I would say that the Bun, the whole Bundy Ranch incident, the original Bundy incident, was an example of two sides who are both wrong. <laughs> the federal government cracking down That's on. That's a good people. way of putting it. Yeah, it was. It stemmed from this long-standing understanding 
that ranchers could graze their animals on federal land, and the federal government basically told them to stop, and they refused, and it turned into a shit show. Uh, and it's, you know, why does the federal government own all of the grazing land around the Bundy Ranch? If they're not doing anything with it, why do they own it? Yeah, it's not like primo real estate. I mean, it's the fucking desert. It's, it's, it's like the, the area sort of uh, the, like around Lake Mead, you know, near the Utah border. Right, but like, the, the problem is nobody bothered to ask these questions. Everybody just got entrenched. Yeah, well, and it becomes, yeah. a, it becomes a, a culture war thing. Which, yeah, which, I mean, the culture war is a thing. I've already taken the Is it, is it <laughs> government overreach or is it a bunch of entitled white people? Well, surprise, it's, it's both. both. <laughs> well put, then. <laughs> Ta-da. So you don't have to like the Bundys to agree that what the government was doing to them was unfair. Yeah, but it was just like, okay, well, yeah, they. I mean, yeah, but the Bundys did bring guns to a party where... Yeah, they did, a, guns. they did weirdly take an Oregon wildlife place hostage. And it is, in that case, they also got the book thrown at them in a way that is objectively probably unfair, mm -hmm. but Ow. would have been a million times worse if they had been black. Mm, because then yes. they would have just killed Or even if they had been fucking Branch Davidians, uh -huh. they, they would have just killed them all. Like, there's definitely a white male Christian privilege thing happening with every Bundy incident. Still, one of them ended up getting shot and killed. Well, he was shot. After he tried to pull a gun on, on the well, cop. shooting. Shooting tends to beget shooting. Yeah. Yeah, there's a weird white male Christian entitled thing happening with the Bundys. Yeah. But they the believe. government response to them is also like, fuck you, fuck your yeah. way of life. Like, we own everything, go home. Yeah, imagine and if that were, imagine if they were a group of armed black people. You know, that, that would... It's like, called the Black Panthers. Like a, yeah, imagine if the people. Black Panthers or the Crips had taken over the wildlife refuge <laughs> with a bunch of rifles. <laughs> Or God, or God forbid, a bunch of Muslims. Well, it entirely depends on who's running the government at the time. No, I think even under Obama, they would have just firebombed them because why? Under, so why didn't they firebomb them this time? I mean, they weren't dead to rights because they were white people, and because they just sort of assumed that they weren't act, that they were like doing a show and weren't actually going to get violent. Mm -hmm. They made a call that like they're they don't really want a shootout to the death, so we're going to starve them out. Mm -hmm. It worked. It's a and, good call. And, and, you, and some of the reaction you get from the left is also a little, you know, a little over the top. You hear, like, like every time a white person goes on a rampage, the, the immediate response is, we have to call this terrorism, and if, it's, and if you're not calling it terrorism, it's because you're racist. Well, as right. opposed to, well, does it technically meet the definition of terrorism? You we know? need to... I personally, when a guy says, when a guy goes to a place, a white dude kills a bunch of women and says it was because no one would sleep with him, I am actually inclined to call that terrorism. Yeah, pretty much. Because I think it, 
think it is. A lot of those yeah, people I guess have so a terrorist that. agenda. You have to, with, to scare well, the aim is, well, that's the thing. With a terrorism, you have to ask about the motivation. Like with the kid, the the kid who shot up the black church, that terrorism, terrorism. Yeah, Absolutely. but we, yeah, but a lot of people aren't calling it that, and I'm wondering why. Is terrorism the same way that Tim McVeigh is a terrorist? You know, you, what is his goal? It was a, it was politically motivated. Right in the nineties, terrorist what, meant white person. That's well, terrorist means politically motivated violence, right? It means you intend to inflict terror. Right for to achieve a political goal. Yeah, you know, you're, you're people are terrified because of the horrible violence that you're inflicting by indiscriminately killing people to make a political point. So, in other words, Trump. I'm leaving that. Well, down. is he using violence? Yes. Well, isn't all government violence? Yeah. Well, well he's he's sort of not explicit. He's kind then of got a real. Then then you've got a really serious image problem. Then you're yeah. know exactly what the what your image is, and nobody's going to yeah. listen to you. Mm-hmm. He sort of only hints at it, you know. He kind of he kind of goes right up to the line and stands right at the edge. What Trump? No, he's over the line. This is this is he happening. Told people to go commit acts of violence. He's he, It's a wink and a nod, but yeah, it's a wink and a, like I was saying, it's not explicit. Well, he's it's, telling ICE. One could imply he's telling it. ICE to do it. They're doing it now. Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother. That's a whole other can of worms. Oh yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah, sure. No, it does count, but it's a whole. Di- it's a, there's, it's 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 not the same. It's not exactly the same as it's, somebody who's no. He's terrorizing people. Sure, he's trying to send the message that. I mean, he, he's it's basically, um, what what he's it's he's basically threatening to take people's children away if they come to the country. He's using that as, a, he's as a way to try to discourage he's people. Doing it. He's not threatening. He's doing it. Is it do you realize that the better? Yes, he is doing it. It's what it's what you might call state sponsored terrorism. Okay. Pretty much. I guess I'm just trying to define okay, what is that exact is it, a, is it I, I the point I was trying to make initially is that terrorism when we use it, it's sort of like it, sometimes it's like calling people a Nazi. It can we, we, I think we should use the word selectively when it applies and not make it overbroad. That's the only point I was trying well, to make. Well, you can have, I mean, if you're, if you're not actively fighting the Nazis, then, then. Yeah. You know. But there's only a, really a handful of Nazis out there. I mean. What, <laughs> and not even the people who call themselves Nazis. I mean, the crying Nazi is like not a threat. The actual avowed Nazis are not the ones I'm most concerned about. Oh, the ones who call themselves Nazis and, like, you know, are just total pussies. They're just, like... They're, they're easy to spot. Yeah, they're easy to spot. I mean, the people in the administration, you know, I mean, like that like that one time we were at that David Bowie concert and he was going to sing I'm Afraid of Americans. Mm-hmm. Probably only 12 Americans I'm afraid of. But, you know, most Americans are pretty fucking far away from being Nazis. Well, I mean, part of... They, I mean, they, um, that's the thing, though. They... If the concern is they knew who they knew what the agenda was. They they maybe they're not like maybe they're not like you know throwing you know parties about it, but they're looking the other way for sure. And they're like well, sure. you know, and they're hoping to get and they're hoping to get their coal jobs back. And it's just like they're you not. Know, as a perhaps finalish thought of this thing. One of the lessons from this race, this convention, 
all the banana stuff. Wait, hold it on. was a reminder. Start, 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 that, start that sentence over. You're breaking up. Uh, one of the things that, one of the lessons from this convention, and and especially all of the buildup to it, and then the payoff to that buildup, is that the craziest voices, the dangerous people, the the ones who advocate for violence, whether it's seizing of the means of production or physically removing communists, the nut bars that define a lot of our political discourse in every group across the world now, they don't show up. They don't actually show up. Well, they... we, had, we had all this buildup to the Joshua Smith taking of the throne, and he got beat 65 to 22. You know, we had all this... 40, 40, uh, 40 something. Almost 40 points? Sorry, I can't do math right now. But a lot. We, we got had, his ass handed to him. And we had all these, all this talk about the dangerous threat that the libertarian socialists and anarcho-communists, the dangerous threat they posed to the Libertarian Party, and none of them got elected to anything because they couldn't get past 10% of the vote. They don't actually show up. They're, away, they're really loud. They're really loud and they sound scary. But they don't have the they numbers. Show up. They just don't have the numbers. Well, maybe not in the Libertarian Party, but, you know, we have bigger fish to fry right now. Yeah. But the committed, the people who are committed, Big L, Libertarian Party members, we're a pretty, you know, we're, we're a pretty pragmatic group, you know? Well, and we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to succeed by actually... <laughs> advancing our principles, you know. I mean, you got a long way to go. And, of course we do. And you don't have that much time to do it. It's just like... You're right. He's making, uh, that bastard's making a move right now. Well, I know. And, and it always turns into this whole world spiraling into, you know, fascism. Which I, I kind of... I You know, I don't... I'm not... I don't share your... Um, quite your level of, of pessimism <laughs> when it That's, comes to that. Like, it's it's... You know, it's it's. Geez. Yeah, things are terrible, but they were terrible in similar ways. Often, like there, I keep seeing people talking about how like stealing children from their parents is the worst thing possible, and a clear indication that we're descending into Nazism more and more every day. But like, like that policy really did start under Obama. Obama's immigration policies. We're fucking atrocious, and Trump well, we hasn't. Should, we should. Changed it's, it's, how does he not change that? I mean, he's being a lot nastier about it. Right. Yeah. He, really, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, there, there, were, there were lines. There were lines that. There were lines that Obama was not willing to cross. No, there were rhetorical lines. Well, there were rhetorical lines. There were that Obama lines. Was not willing to cross, but he was doing the same things. And doing matters more than saying. He wasn't proudly announcing these awful things. Wait, so, I mean, how is that, a th wait, how is that happening? It's like... He was deporting people left and right. Yeah, he, he was deporting people, people, but then they... He, refugees. He deported more people than all previous presidents. He I'm deported more people than Operation Wetback in the 50s. 
and I, I get I get that part, but it's just and they really did separate. They would put they would put children who were naturalized citizens in like in the child oh, yeah. they basically sold system. them into slavery. Yeah, in like on some of these agricultural companies, they would take the children, these unaccompanied children, and they would basically send them off send them off to foster care, which was basically a concentration camp where they would work in like poultry factories and stuff like that. So why didn't we get more outraged at the time? Because because, it, because no the media to, wasn't all over it. Yeah, you know? because the media was on his side and no one wanted to believe he could do. Wrong. And he was and he wasn't and he wasn't going out of his way to say, hey, look at my immigration policy. Look okay, so now, you know, what I'm doing. Okay, so now that we can so now that we can see what's happening, why aren't we acting? We are. We are. We aren't acting. acting. What, are we doing? Are we acting. what are we doing? We are we specifically That's added. Um, we actually um ch- uh, changed a um uh, part of our uh, a plank in our platform about immigration. We made it even more open borders than it was. This before. was one of Sarwork's priorities. Actually, I can. Let me to look it up. See, that's the kind of thing I need to hear because the thing is, yeah. I mean, right. you know, yeah. on, on on the D side, the platform is kind of wishy washy. Well, a brief rundown of platform things we did. We created a new platform endorsing the decriminalization decriminalization and legalization of sex work. Mm-hmm. All right. We added Actually, um, we added poly, we added polyamorous inclusive language to our marriage equality plank. Uh, we took Yeah, so proposal N. So so here's what the free trade and migration plank used to say. It used to say we support the removal of government impediments to trade, political freedom and escape from tyranny demand that individuals not be unreasonably constrained by government in the crossing of political boundaries. Economic freedom demands the unrestricted movement of human as well as financial capital across national borders. However, we support control over the entry into our country of foreign nationals who pose a credible threat to security, health, or property. That last sentence. That last sentence However, we support control. That sentence was cut out. So now it just says we support the removal of government impediments to free trade, political freedom and escape from tyranny demand that individuals not be unreasonably constrained by government in the crossing of political boundaries. Economic freedom demands the unrestricted movement of human as well as financial capital across national borders, period. Unrestricted movement of people. No exceptions now. So is that, would you consider that doing something and taking a stand? See, this is the kind of thing you should have mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Well, we also passed a resolution, I think unanimously, to call for the abolition of ICE. Yes. And and that Jeff Sessions be fired. Okay. And that Jeff Sessions be immediately fired. Now, in now assuming that Mr. Trump does not immediately act on our demand to fire Sessions, <laughs> then we, what else can we do other than put up a different candidate to get to 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 knock Trump to 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 defeat him and knock him out of office? Okay. I mean, it's not like we're a political organization, but we we're not in power. We can't affect policy, but we can go out there and we can put out our positions and advocate and. And run candidates. That's what we're up to. 
I mean, I could go chain myself to the middle of an intersection and cause a traffic jam. I don't think that's really going to do much good, though. I think I need you somewhere else. Uh-huh, yeah. Because that's what some people are doing. They they feel like they're just going... Yeah. I mean, they're like, okay, what can we do? We can cause a traffic jam to bring awareness. Well, we are <laughs> we are the first major political party to endorse the legalization of sex work. And our sex work plank was written by sex work. Yes. It's about protection. Yeah. I mean, you got the Democrats going out. I mean, Trump is saying, oh, the Dems are for open borders. And they're like, no, we're not. That's a lie. We're not for open borders. Right. But we We are are for open borders. (laughs) See, this is, yeah. Yes, we are for open borders. That doesn't necessarily mean no border. That just anyone, if they're a criminal, can come in. We took that line out. But still, yeah, well, we took that line out because guys are running at it. It kind of because of the way Trump's been demonizing immigrants. It kind of has that. Well, and we had one of the lesser things we did is we passed uh, one of the other platform pieces we passed was condemning occupational licensing, encouraging encouraging voluntary associations to certify people, but not requiring expensive government licenses to do things like braid hair. And the argument for this new plank was explicitly like occupational licensing laws have been written to keep poor black people from being able to do these jobs. Mm -hmm. That's why we oppose it. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So like we were also, we spent a solid day just doing bylaws, which was inane. We spent, (laughs) we spent a day and a half at the end doing elections, which was, very exciting, but you know, yeah, but pretty, pretty circle jerky. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of all that, we did the platform, and that was the most encouraging thing for me because that's when people got up and said things like, "Our president is demonizing Muslims and brown people, and we need to take a hard stand against it." Round of applause from everyone, like unanimous agreement that that we are the party of open immigration, open borders, protecting, you know, black children from being murdered by cops. Like, that's what we stand for. And it was really affirming to have all that come out in the platform debate. See, this is the part I'm going to remember when, in 2020, when I have to, like, listen to all these Democrats, like, you know, speak their piece. Well... And I had my own reservations and skepticism about the LP when I first went there in in uh, in, in twenty sixteen. And one of the the moment were to me when I really you know started realizing okay some of this stuff maybe I'm a little uncomfortable with like the like a lot of the Second Amendment stuff which I, still it, it's thing. it's it just doesn't it makes me a little the way people talk about it, it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes. Well, it makes me very uncomfortable. I'm against Second Amendment. It's just the way they talk about it and make me a little like too fetishistic. Yeah, but somewhat like when we passed uh, the 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 plank uh, calling for the abolition of the death penalty, moments like that made me think, hey, why the Democrat? Why aren't the Democrats doing this? Why are the Democrats so? Yeah, we we added we added a platform piece officially condemning torture. Yeah, in all circumstances, no exceptions. Like if you really care about actually, you know, 
being, I mean, if, if you're involved in politics because you actually want to make society better and actually make this country a, a freer, more, more, you know, and actually if promote, to make this a more if you really, union. really believe in justice and that's your goal, <laughs> justice and liberty and freedom, this really is the party to be in. If, if that's what, if that's what you care about. Right. We officially condemned torture. All of your freedoms all of the time. That is that is our brand. It's... We I, actually are about something. Yeah, I mean, between the people I've met and and you guys, this is a party still fighting for an identity. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have pretty clear. It's This is yeah. Star Wars I mean, party. that was... Right, right, that was the other thing is we weren't... Like, the fight for identity turned out to be much ado about nothing because between the platform stuff being like the, these platform pieces condemning torture, calling for the abolition of ice, free immigration, that's radical and yet passed almost unanimously. Mm-hmm. The, and the election, Nick Sarwark fucking creamed it because this is the, this is what he stands for. I mean, winning by 42 points is, you know, pretty yeah. resounding, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I mean... Uh, I mean... <laughs> he lapped him. He had three times as many votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just like, I'm, I'm sorry, I wish I could just go all in, but... Well, don't judge the party based on its worst members. Yeah, because that's... all parties have terrible... Have, I mean, if you like, who's the worst people in the Democratic Party? Who are the worst people in the Republican Party? Oh, uh, I mean... Well, we, you're, we, you're all, have our, we all have our that. opinions about that. I, I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm sure I could argue about this for days, but I have my opinions. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll save them for... Well, when people... I'll, I'll save them when for people, when I need to, like, make somebody angry, because that's... When we cross the line, we do give people, people the food. Anyways, we should... It is, good. It is 6 p.m. here. Yeah, okay. Let's, yeah, let's... And I'm still, still in my pajamas can make this a sweet two-parter mm-hmm. okay um yeah i'm well, i'll probably cut my i mind. hope you are able to edit it somewhat oh i'm probably no i'm i'm already working on like you know like trimming the first out trimming the first part down yeah i love the second part way more it was a slow crescendo uh, and you know what i i don't think joshua smith is is, is, is a bad guy can we like um and i think he learned a lot <laughs> yes. okay so um i'm gonna put a i'm gonna put a um intro in the beginning it's just like well we now join our call already in progress and then yeah. uh and and then at the but i think we should do a proper outro so yeah. let's hit it okay. i'm chris Fuller. well that's oh. it for this huh what oh yeah well that's it for, for, for yeah, to say yeah that's it for this well film. that that is, and i think uh that is it for our wrap-up of the uh of the 2018 libertarian national convention libertarian that's it. You're breaking our, start over again. You let Ben do it. <laughs> well, that's it for our exciting coverage, recap, etc. of the Libertarian National Convention <clears throat> of the Libertarian National Convention 2018 in Nolens, Louisiana. Uh, I've been Ben Phelps. And I'm Lelius Rose. And I'm and we are your L. And we oh, are... You. We are your precious Precious snowflakes. snowflakes. Play us off, Chris.